0: So a lot of you guys got to meet me, kind of meet me, I guess, in the last couple episodes. And uh, I didn't really go over much that I grew up on a farm. And uh, I I have a lot of my humor from from that, I guess, part of the world. And uh, a joke that I'll never forget... um, Came from the president of our bank. Actually, uh, my dad and I were in there doing some, some uh, paper farming. Unfortunately, you have to, have to have uh, money to farm. But uh, anyway, so we're talking with the president, you know, and he goes, I've "Got a joke for you guys." He goes, "There's a farmer, and he was uh, he's out, disking one day, and he's seen this this shiny thing pop up." behind the disc he just happened to see it you know and he's like man that shouldn't be there i've been farming this land for 30 years like how did something shiny like that pop up and on the way back because he has to turn around he's not going to stop right in this spot it's not going to happen right he goes to the end turns around comes back and when he gets there he's not, he's got his eye out for it, and it's very shiny so he sees it he stops the tractor gets out goes and looks. he has to know what this is and you'll never guess it was a lamp right not like a lamp in the house but like one you rub and the genie Genie pops yeah genie pops out right and the genie pops out and he's like i'm gonna grant you three wishes you know being a farmer he's like man i really could use a brand new combine for this year's corn harvest genie says your first wish is granted when you get home there'll be a brand new combine sitting in the driveway all right, Genie goes back in the bottle. He takes it up, throws it in the tractor, finishes farming that day, finishes his quarter, goes home. Sure enough, brand new combine sitting in the driveway, sixteen row header, beautiful. Right? He uh, he's like, man, this is all right. I got two more of these wishes. He's out working, and uh, um. He thinks he's like, "Man, what would what would really help me right now?" He says, Man, I could I could use a l- little bit better price on some on some corn. So gets out the the lamp, right? Rubs the lamp up. He says, "Genie, I want $9 corn." Genie says, "Your second wish is my command." Bam. You have $9 corn. So farmer, you know, he's he's watching the market, of course, you know, hits nine dollars the whole bit. Two days later, farmer rubs the the lamp. Genie comes out, he says, What is your third and final wish? And the farmer goes, I uh I need nine dollar corn. And uh the genie goes, Why well, I, I already gave you nine dollar corn? He's like, Yeah, uh, but I thought it was going to 10 so I waited a little longer and hey you know it just didn't quite happen. So this joke has
1: to be explained <laughs> to me on so many levels. <laughs> I grew up in this city
0: uh, and you didn't I, get that in California?
1: Uh, we didn't get any of that in California. What was so, it Orange County? Orange County, yep. And <laughs> people from California always have to tell you what county they're from and I never realized this until Tony Burks pointed it out to me and he was like you're from California. Where are you at from California? I said, uh, or he said, Oh yeah, you're from California. My wife's from California. She always tells people she's from San Bernardino County. And I was like, Oh yeah, I know where that's at. And he's like, why do you, why does everybody in California always say what County they're from? And I started thinking about it. And he goes, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Orange County. And then like a couple weeks later. Somebody asked me, they were like, oh, you're from California, where are you from? And without even thinking, I was like, Orange County. And I was like, holy shit, he's right. (laughs) But anyways, going back to that joke, what's a freaking combine? (laughs) 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 This is Mike from Mile High Shooting, and you're listening to The Everyday Sniper. I have Adam Rehor back with me. Hey, guys. And uh, we're going to talk about reloading. It's a hot subject right now. We've... I put it out last night on Facebook and asked for a bunch of questions, and I was able to get about uh, three pages worth of questions from you guys, and hopefully we'll get a lot of those answered. Adam, coming from a background of bench rest shooting and growing into the tactical world, where um, I don't know a lot about bench rest, but a lot of the habits that I have now are from bench rest because you taught me how to shoot. So I'm, I'm doing things... And I'm like, well, why am I doing that? And I start thinking about it, and I get to pick his brain. So I wanted to share that with you guys so that you have an idea of of where that's coming from, but also why he does the thing he does and why he does the process that he does and how that accuracy translates over into the tactical world and the field shooting. Um, True or false, you guys load your ammo on the range in a bench rest shoot.
0: Yeah, so we, we have a whole kit we set up right at the bench and load everything on the spot. Uh, that basically allows us to tune our gun there at the, at the range for the, the current conditions, right? So what we can do is we set everything up and we start – most of the time we go to the line on the very first group. We'll have three different loads, you know. So you'll have the load that you used kind of last – it's like this. This load has always treated me good, right?
1: I want you guys to know I'm keeping an eye on the actual recording device because this is the second time that we got about, you know, ten minutes into a conversation and the the recorder died at about two. So we're uh, I'm
0: getting better at this story. <laughs> yeah, dude, you are getting
1: better at this story. <laughs> the first time, you know, worked out all the the my little pauses and my uh,
0: I realized I do that a lot.
1: It's funny listening to yourself, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, you're on the line. You're reloading. Yeah, you're so shooting. you
0: you go to the line with three different loads, and you have um, kind of your standby, one lighter and one hotter, and then depending upon and and three foulers. You got to foul the barrel because we clean the barrel every 12, 12 rounds or every time you're done shooting a record target. Go back and cl- and clean that barrel. So you got to shoot your three foulers, get the bore fouled, and then shoot your load and see what's going on. So depending on what your gun's doing, what you're seeing, what you like, that'll be the load that you use. And then generally the leftover loads become foulers for the rest of the day. So then you shoot three foulers every time or two or one or whatever your gun likes to do. But yeah, so we'll actually find a load that works and where you're shooting good. And then you can uh, load that right there on the spot and then tune it. So if it's getting hotter, you know, like Colorado is horrible in the spring and fall time morning starts out it's 40 degrees but the afternoon it's 85 90 degrees well a bench variation huge yeah. variations you know um it's hard to keep a gun in tune with that big and dramatic of a temperature swing especially a bench rest gun you see so many things with a bench rest gun um as far as like the big three and we'll, we'll kind of talk about this a little later um thanks to to lou smith on his question but big three seating depth neck tension and uh uh powder charge okay those are the three major things in bench rest right so
1: so before uh, we get into that stuff i also wanted to bring up well we were kind of talking about it before the the recorder died earlier but um when you're going through the motions and putting a round into the chamber you've always taught me that don't load and don't um, don't chamber around until you're absolutely ready to shoot right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yep. I think there's a lot of good theory and reasoning behind it. Can you explain it a little bit?
0: Yeah, so um, basically, it's called cooking your cooking the, the round. Okay, um, what that is is when you keep a live round in the chamber for too long. So our, our rule of thumb is three to five seconds. If you're not shooting... Like in a the, grenade fuse. Yeah. Air on the side the, of three. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want that that round to go off in that period of time. And if your wind condition changes, you can do one of two things. Either you can open the bolt and kick that round out on the, on the table or whatever you want to do. Um, or... You can just shoot it at your cider target and check your wind condition and check your check your windage because your elevation most likely will go someplace else just for the fact that it is heating that that brass up that going powder faster. up right and it's 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 going to change your point of impact. Okay. I saw a lot
1: of that when we had an LE class last September because we would fire off you know these guys would be just hammering rounds through like thirty rounds just boom mm-hmm. boom 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 boom. And I'm like, okay, well, that one's going to go high, because he just let it sit in the chamber. Right. And I was telling him, I was like, hey, if you're not ready to shoot, don't close your bolt. Right. And-, and I'm sitting on the spotting scope, and he's like, what are you talking about? And he let it sit in the chamber for a good 10 to 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I looked over at the dude I was with, and I was like, that's, that's going to be pretty high. And he pulled the trigger, and it was two mils high. Yeah. And he couldn't understand why. Yeah
0: yeah you have something that's that hot. I don't care really. You have uh extreme powders i mean that that powder is sitting in that barrel that is a heat sink, and all it does is just pull the heat right out of the brass. It just took seventy sixty thousand p s i and you know and all that pressure and powder you know it just there's a there's a lot of heat going into that barrel and you shoot twenty rounds through it. that barrel's smoking hot and as soon as you stick. Uh, a loaded round in there is heating everything up there's there's nothing in that case that's not getting hotter sure you know so
1: so one of the biggest questions i always get or one of the actually it's not even a question it's more of a statement is i ask somebody when they're deciding on what caliber they're going to go with on a fire or on a long rifle i ask them well you're going to reload
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then they either say yes i already have all the stuff or i'm going to reload later so where is that decision made of, okay, I'm going to reload or I'm not going to reload. I'm just going to use factory. Do you think that's really a, a big decision to make anymore just because of
0: the match ammo that's out there? Um, it used to be a bigger deal when 6.5 Creedmoor was getting off the ground because a lot of people wanted to run 6.5. You don't, you don't hardly have anybody that, uh, that debated that when they were wanting to run 308. Right, because you had you had cheap brass, you had expensive brass, you had good ammo that's already loaded. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was readily available to everyone. With six five Creedmoor, when it was you know getting more and more popular, um, two sixty was really popular in the in the tactical or prs or practical world i like to think of it as practical world because not all of us are shooting prs matches but there's a lot of us that are long range enthusiasts you know they just love to go out and shoot long range they don't need to shoot a match they just want to shoot long range they want to learn this stuff they want to learn how to shoot wind so i'll i'll, I'll probably use practical a little bit more uh, as we talk also just so you guys know um but the 260 at that time had uh cheap brass and you had Lapua brass available. Hornady only had loaded ammo for a long time and then then Hornady brass came out. Right? So you only had Hornady. It's not Lapua brass. There was inconsistencies there still is when you have uh primer pockets that are only good for one, maybe two firings and then the brass is no good cuz you can't get the primer to stay in. I
1: hear a lot of people saying that lapua brass is soft or not lapua brass but hornady brass
0: is soft um well it it could be you know but i think there's a lot of things that happen there is the the actual primer pocket was just you know uh, swedged oversized so the the primer the first time wasn't as tight as we would want it to be and then you you shoot it, you know, and it's it's six five Creedmoor is fairly hot, even with factory ammo from Hornady. They have it right up there to the the pressure line, you know. They they Hornady tries to keep it down a little bit, but they still wanted good good uh, results from their loaded ammo because they were kind of the ones pioneering it and pushing it. They were the ones that were making this readily available. It wasn't four or five other manufacturers; it was just them. So. Um,
1: In this day and age, it seems like all I hear is, well, I'm going to save money by reloading. Do you think that's even true anymore?
0: um, Well, you do save, you save a lot of money by reloading. There's, there's no question. Um, Where that question lies is, what is your time worth? My time has become way more valuable. Right. I You know, like before it was just me and my wife at the house. She went to bed at 9 o'clock because she had to get up at 4 in the morning and go and work out and go to, the, go to her job, right? So uh, I got to sleep in in the morning, and I stayed up late at night reloading, you know. so But now we have two kids at home. You have young kids. Yeah, I mean, they require a lot of attention. <laughs> it's a lot of attention, man. Yeah. By the time I even think about sitting down and reloading, it's probably ten thirty at night. Mm-hmm. You know, we come to work every morning, here at eight, leave at six, get home, it's already seven. Do all the stuff. You know, my time has become more and more valuable.
1: Well, I remember when you started so, me reloading. And You're like, come over. We'll do some reloading, and you know we'd be reloading for a good six hours. Yeah, getting ready for a match,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's that's a lot of time. It is and a lot of time. And my daughter was very young at the time, and I don't think I don't think Hadley was born just yet. Mm-hmm. No, she wasn't. But it's still it is a lot of time, and you know what is your time worth to you? That's a great that, question. That, that is the question that you have to answer for yourself.
0: That's exactly right. You know, if you're in that position where, hey, I. I want something that I do want to hand load for, but I do want something I can buy good match ammo for. So if I don't have that time to go in and reload, I can stop by the mile high and buy, you know, a case or two of ammo just to get me through some monthly matches, you know, just to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm still shooting. I still want to be pulling the trigger, but I don't want to spend time away from whatever keep that I want to be doing. Sure. Right. So, being, after, you know it is it's a hobby it is a hobby after yeah. you know it's and i hear i hear this a lot from guys reloading is uh like zen like like zen like you know yeah. it's it's its relaxing reloading is not relaxing to me it, i can it, agree with you. It, it, it is <laughs> you've seen me i'm on I've the edge you. of my seat at all times you know um because if I'm going to do it, it's going to be as right as I can make it. Down to the kernel. So, I, and, I, you know, Mike, Mike has seen me in, in full tilt. Like, he dropped my bullet on the floor, and I was like, throw that in the trash. You, or you use it. I'm not using it.
1: Yeah. Or open another box, because when we finish this, it better be at an even number. Yes,
0: my my reloading my reloading numbers always equal one hundred. Terrible! (laughs) You have one hundred primers and you have one hundred bullets. Make it work. Make it work. It better line up. In my world, that's how it is. So, how do you decide which components to use? One readily available. You know, obviously, everybody searches for forty three fifty and Varget. And there's oh, always a, a BR
1: outage, or there's something. Right uh, oh, now, there's brass. the Great Burger Crisis. You know, everybody's
0: <sighs> 140s and 105s can't find them anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that that kind of that kind of puts a little bit of uh, um, sway on what I where I'm going to go. Um, but generally, you know, if you know you're going to make that decision and you're going to go this way just watch for it you know you, you, it's it's one of those things hey we, well I need to be constantly looking or, or and find it you know it's out there sometimes you have to overpay for it but you know what if if you have to overpay for it and it gets you out shooting and and, and going well is that the the end result that we wanted yeah, you're already saving the, the money like oh man this this guy has this eight pound keg of powder for 20 bucks more than these guys but it's out you know everybody else is out of powder but these guys have it okay well you're already sitting down and and spending however many x amount of hours every night or day or whatever reloading why worry about that twenty dollars it's you're already saving the money you're not buying factory ammo factory ammo is more expensive than reloading Right? I understand you're trying to keep the, the budget down, but if it gets you out on the range and it gets you shooting, was the twenty dollars worth it? That's how I look at it.
1: Yeah, and we talk a lot about the life of the barrel too, and I've seen you do this and I've seen you recommend it to folks I hear you and I saw you shoot a text off to somebody about it. <laughs> but when uh, when you decide, okay, I got a new barrel. The life of this barrel is going to be 3,000 rounds,
0: and you find bullets. Yeah. How many do you buy? I buy at least, at a minimum, 3,000 rounds. That way I can burn that barrel out. Okay. I have the same lot number of bullets for the life of that barrel. I have the same amount of primers or more, and I have enough powder of the same lot number to burn that barrel out.
1: And be consistent. Right. That you know nothing's going to change except for you, the loader.
0: Right. And and the barrel, you know, it arose and, and goes away, and you have to do a little bit of work there. But I have enough of the same components. So after I build a load, and I know that this barrel shoots it, and it likes to be 15,000s off the lands exactly all the time. You don't want to be surfing the internet the, I'm not, for the next year. Dude, I'm not going to, like, uh oh, I only have 100 bullets left. Well, guess i should have bought more of that lot or now i have to retune this load or i have to do this or i have to you know like that that is that's irritating to me you know like trying to redevelop my load as uh because i didn't i wasn't prepared for that caliber so you, basically
1: you know let's say you buy a thousand rounds and now you have to find alternatives so you've you've spent time developing a load for a thousand rounds. Now you have to find an alternative, and you're going to spend time developing another load for another thousand rounds, and then you're going to do it again because the barrel's not quite burnt out.
0: Right. I still have say another uh, eight hundred to a thousand rounds left on that barrel, and I've already done load development on it twice now. So
1: when you're doing load development before you choose your favorite load, how many rounds are you uh, are you firing?
0: Uh.
1: Like if you're if you're in load development mode, your first you know first stack of bullets out of, the, mm. out of the barrel and you're like okay that's my load and we'll talk about what his process is on load development itself but how many rounds do you think you're going to go through that adds to that uh, uh, barrel deteriorating mm-hmm. and then how many times like how much can you actually save in the long run if you just get all the same stuff right up front mm-hmm. you know what i mean
0: yeah so to to be to be fair you know i i do probably a little bit more shooting than some guys I've heard of Scott Satterley's you know 10 load development you know (laughs) deal and everything but uh, I can probably get a load developed and have it last a long time of that barrel's life with about 50 rounds now so and if you want to really confirm and make sure you know it it might be like 75 so
1: then you would if you had to switch bullets switch lots switch powders you know find the alternative for stuff that's not available because everybody's trying to shoot the same thing and everybody's trying to get the same results Mm -hmm. um so you just basically if you had to go through it two more times you just wasted 100 rounds out of that barrel for no reason yeah that's that's kind of how i look at it
0: Mm -hmm. and if you have a you know so there's a there's say if it's 75 rounds that's 150 if we have to do it twice Right? If it's a 243 or 6 Creedmoor, something like that, and you want to run it real hot, well, you can count on getting 1,500 rounds through that. You might get to 2,000. You might not. So you can consider 10% of that barrel's life was due to load development.
1: I got some notes here. It says uh, determining the OAL and seating depth, which we'll talk about when we get into Yeah, I want you guys to know that Adam probably spent, what, about six or seven hours last night after you got home just writing notes down. He said he needed to do it anyways because he wants to, you know, basically make a document and give you guys a guideline that you can, you know, email us and say, hey, uh, what do you have as far as a guideline? And he can send send you a uh a typed out copy of this. It's going to take a little while to develop because he's got some pages to cover, but he was up uh, a lot of the night last night taking notes and actually digging into the books and getting the information so that everybody that's listening to the podcast can drive to work and, and basically have this book read to you or actually have a guideline so that when you, you have something to reference, you can reference books and you can reference this podcast and what Adam is saying so that, you know, you don't have to, you're not reading You know more than you want to, and falling asleep because to me this shit is boring.
0: Sometimes it's a little, it's a little
1: overwhelming,
0: and yeah, (laughs) dry. Dry. Uh, You know, I guess it kind of takes a special type of guy. And I like to say this from time to time, but uh, you know, in reloading manuals, like the first hundred pages of a reloading manual that everybody skips past is how to reload. Right. Yeah. It, believe it or not, it's I hear, in there.
1: I hear most people. They're like, "So and so taught me how to reload. So and so taught me how to reload, and they learned it from somebody else, and they learned it from somebody else, and they learned it from somebody else." So you have like this fifth generation copy of a copy right. reloading.
0: What What was Mike without actually or,
1: doing the research? Right. What which,
0: was which is where I'm at. Right. What was <laughs> What was Frank saying about the game of telephone? Oh yeah, the message changes. Right. Yeah. So. So reloading
1: equipment. We're going to talk about some of this stuff too, the cheap stuff versus the expensive stuff. And it, it you got to spend money and what it sounds like you got to spend money to save money in the long run if that's your goal. And if that's not your goal, you want to spend money so that you don't struggle. Through yeah. It. What
0: you save in money, you make up in grief. Absolutely. And how many
1: times, like, personally, do you think that you've had to rebuy, uh, rebuy equipment to go, okay, well, this is the good thing now, or this is going to hold me over until I can get this, or, you know, this is the thing that's hot on the market, but I don't want to spend that kind of money, so I'm going to get the one that's a little bit less
0: than that. Yeah, I've, I've done that more than I care to admit. Um, you know, like, uh, right now, probably one of the uh, the newest tools in my toolbox as far as reloading goes is a powder, powder drop and scale. Uh, You know, obviously, and we'll go through this a little bit too, but the Prometheus was hot. Mm -hmm. Oh man, you have to have a Prometheus. You have to have a Prometheus. Uh, It's $4,000. It's a year wait, but it is awesome. But it doesn't sound that awesome to me. (laughs) <laughs> At four thousand dollars, and I have oh, to wait. Whack. I have to wait a year, and then you have to sign a lease because, oh man, somebody might steal this idea or use it for commercial or do something or the, this so after or the you other pay thing. Four thousand
1: dollars it's still not even yours. Still
0: not yours. You signed a lease for thirty years or whatever, you know. And my feeling about that is: try to come and take it. <laughs> try to take it from me. If I gave four thousand dollars for it, you're not getting it way. It's mine irritates me
1: so what it came down to is you never got one of those i never
0: got one i just bought two rcbs charge masters tuned them up done a little love to them got me a, a little dandy trickler um and through a denver instruments scale in between the two got three uh um powder uh i can't even think of the word the the like the brass pan that the powder falls into, and I made sure that all three of those weighed exactly the same. So this is actually it kind of funny. didn't matter I what needed. scale I could put that on. <laughs> the next time I'm at your house, work. I'm
1: going to take a picture of these just so everybody can reference this. So what he had done to make them all the same weight is he either shaved something off of it, and then went, oh, shit, I shaved too much off of it, and then took a piece of tape, yeah, just, the, just masking, or just uh, just it's, Scotch tape. Yeah, just Scotch tape, and then tape. You know, put a piece of tape on it. Added some weight to it on the handle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everything it does, everything is the exact same weight, mm-hmm. and you, you can tell that you spent some time rigging that stuff up.
0: Yeah, and you know, like that. It no, it's probably not quite as fast as a Prometheus, um, but it What's was the principle. It huh? was, it, and it was, it was cheaper. You know, <laughs> how many how many rounds did we load in the past? two years uh with both me us loading for ourselves on that on that setup a lot right i think it was probably close to uh probably four or five thousand you know call it 4500 uh loads on there you know so um whatever it takes whatever it takes 45 46 you know so uh it still treated us well we had to kind of do a – kind of circumvent it and do our own thing to make it work the way that we wanted and get the results that we wanted. Um, but it's doable, right?
1: Do you think it's cut down on a lot of your time spent on the bench, like getting you know, the premium equipment versus having that old busted shit?
0: Most definitely, yeah. yeah. Good equipment is hard to replace.
1: I know that kind of sounded like a leading question, but I, I know – I'm just asking for these guys because they're not yeah. you know, here to ask you. I know the answer to yeah. a lot of these questions. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make it clear that exactly what Adam said with the money versus grief. Yeah. That is – that's the payout it in, is. at the yep. end of the day.
0: And I and I can tell you guys, uh, and if this helps you justify certain things, I'll give you the way I like to justify it in my own head and, you know – I tell myself, hey, I'm 28 years old. I hope to be reloading until I'm at least 78 years old. Right. I have a few more years of doing this. I don't want to sit here and trim cases to length with this Sinclair tool holder that I have to crank by hand, and it takes a minute per case. Dry, it just, like... Why not just I was get in, a good I wasn't there for those days.
1: Oh, yeah. No, Adam's got this fancy <laughs> – what is that fancy thing you just stick them in there? It's
0: the Gerard. Gerard, Gerard that thing is say.
1: badass. It's just like,
0: meep, done, done, next. I, I can probably do like 20 a minute instead of one. Dude. So like that, I justify it by saying, hey, I'm going to be doing this for at least another 40 years or 20 years. How much is your time worth? So I'm going to spend an extra uh, 40 hours a year trimming brass? Right, that's vacation. Right. Yeah, I don't, That's I don't what wanna, that is. I, I don't wanna, want to spend my old vacation. Yeah, I don't want to do that. It's like this. I'll tell you guys something else that irritates me. Have you ever been to somebody else's house or even your own and you go into your bedroom and it's like I am ready to lay down and go to sleep? But I have 15 pillows on the bed that I have to move to get to my <laughs> pillow. <laughs> you didn't know that was coming, did you? I had no idea that was coming. so. What's a combine? I, I spend <laughs> I spend five minutes taking the pillows off my bed and then putting them back on in the morning. Okay, so let's just figure on average that's 10 minutes per day right. of moving pillows. What's Add that, that a up. Lifetime. Add that up every day over a year. It's 40 hours a year. Just moving pillows.
1: <laughs> the pillow reference. Yes. Finally. We finally got through to somebody. Somebody <laughs> just went. Light came on. They were like, shit. I move pillows. I know exactly what he's I talking I hope about.
0: that helps all of you guys.
1: Justify not Justify having, uh, not having
0: <laughs> pillows on your bed to your wife. Like... Over the past five years, you know, we've had like 2,000 hours of moving pillows or 200. Whatever, you know. Whatever suits your fancy. You can round we up. It halfway. Agree. Right?
1: We got a lot of questions on Facebook. I'm going to start jumping into that and then Adam's got his notes. We're about 30 minutes in and we gave you the motivation at this point. You know, are you going to reload? Okay, maybe, maybe not. But now you have the motivation, you understand what, what, how time-consuming it can be, and maybe that's something that you want to do. So uh, a lot of guys that do reload or are looking at reloading have you know, dropped these questions, so I'm just going to dig right in. I got Vince. If you're going to adjust seating depth, how much can you adjust before you could start seeing signs of overpressure? How much have you been adjusting the depth? the depth make on accuracy?
0: Well, I can, I can tell you just two thousandths of seating depth can change your accuracy completely in a bench gun, right? Depends on your situation. So if you are – most tactical guns, guys are jumping 15 thousandths to the lands on average, okay? That's where most guys start is it 15 thou off, okay? So you – it's very easy to, to – Push your bullet ahead twenty thousands, jam the bullet in the lands. Now you have pressure, right? So reloading is it's you're responsible. Again, it's not relaxing. Pay attention to what you're doing because you can have pressure problems. You can you have a bomb going off six inches in front of your face every time you pull the trigger. So make sure that that is correct, right? So if you can you can determine where the lands are with that bullet, it is going to help you you know, keep that load safe, not have that overpressure problem. And then as far as accuracy goes, you need to figure out where that bullet likes to jump. Like I said, on average, 15 thou, that's a pretty good starting point. Most custom guns, right? You have any custom gun it's maker. It's a pretty common number. It's a pretty, it's very common. I think even Berger states, hey, our bullets like to be jumped 15, 20 thousandths. Like if you start 15 to 20 thou off the lands, you're going to have some of the best results that you'll get. Why not start there? Berger says it.
1: Uh, define. So, okay, never mind. Where is the point of diminishing returns as far as case prep, sorting, weighing, etc.? Again,
0: depends From on. My what man, mean. Doug Diamond, Doug. So <clears throat> there's there's a lot of different points as far as case prep and weighing and doing things. One of my biggest things is people weighing brass. Okay. Mike's heard me talk about this before. Yeah, I'm gonna let you go. Right? Do it, you're off the chain, go ahead. So, you weigh your brass. Okay, well this piece of brass weighs 15 grains more and this one's changed back and forth, okay? When you look at a, a cross section of a piece of brass, where is all of the weight in that case? It's at the head, okay? Right below the web, right there The the primer pocket, uh, yeah, in, the, in the flash hole, right? Yeah. So what if that piece of brass on the inside was thicker right where the flash hole was at? Okay. Well, that's where all the meat in that brass is anyways. So if it was just a little bit thicker, that piece of brass weighs more than the next piece. It doesn't mean that that piece is worse. It just had a little bit more material at the head of the case. So it had, what if that... That case alone was the most concentric piece of brass that you owned. Did you even check concentricity of the brass? No, I just weighed it. Well, yeah, that didn't do you it. any These good. I threw that they're... one in the trash because it was way heavier than the rest. Okay, well, that was the most concentric piece of brass you had. The neck was perfect. The body was perfect. The flash hole was perfectly center. Well, threw that one in the trash. It weighed more. Okay? Okay it's not like the neck weighed more and it was you know one side was 17,000 thick and the other side was 11,000 thick it wasn't you know that's not where it got its weight from so weighing brass it's it's you know it's not it's not all that it's cracked up to be i'm sure that there's some things there that that probably do help you've just added more time more time to a process that may or may not help you at all. There's also you can do it with primers, guys weigh primers, guys weigh their bullets, you know, there's there's a lot. There's I mean you can go into a lot of things that you really don't have to do. Right? Especially in this practical world of us shooting, right? We're trying to shoot a eighteen inch plate at eight hundred yards. Well, we have some take-up room. We're not trying to shoot as small as group as possible. We're not shooting F-class. We're not shooting bench rest, right? Some of those things you do not have to do to hit a plate at 800 yards. Sometimes training is worth more. Time. Take that time, lead through the barrel. Right.
1: Does not annealing brass affect your accuracy?
0: It can, yeah, because the brass will get work hardened and then. Uh, so what's annealing? Just so annealing is basically you're you're heating the the brass up to a point where the the neck and the shoulder and are easily pliable again. It's not hard. The head of your case is hard. You want the neck, the shoulder to be soft so you can size it and do and make it do what you want it to do. Manipulate it, it a little bit easier, easier right? So um, I've run into it. Uh, running 243 brass i kind of was on the last leg trying to do some stuff get away without annealing and and going through some extra work that i didn't really want to do and um i had cases that i'd shot six seven times mixed with cases i'd shot twice or once and i had a larger sd because i i hadn't annealed certain cases you know i just kind of mixed them together because i was i was tired of working on it right so um Annealing, not annealing, can affect you and it can bite you. Yes.
1: Okay. That was for Kenny. Thanks, Kenny. Moving on to Geoffrey. Mm. Geoffrey.
0: Geoffrey. Yeah. Geoffrey.
1: How do you develop the most consistent ammo possible from brass press
0: to loaded ammo? Batch reloading. Mike has seen me do this. That's how I reload. I do not do anything unless I have 500 pieces of brass sitting there ready for me to prep and work over. So, if you can go through and you can uh, resize, then prime, trim the length. You know that's not; those aren't in order, obviously. Um, and dump powder in. Now, the powder and the seating not as important, but um, Generally, you I like to get most of those things done all in the same night. Yeah, I'll come so, over,
1: and you'll have 300 cases prepped right there, and you're still working on some other ones, right. but none of them have powder, none of them have bullets in
0: them. Right, yeah, so all of them have been sized at the same time. They were all tumbled at the same time. They were Basically, I'm trying to keep those cases as, I, as identical and the same as I possibly can. That is how you're going to get your the best ammo possible, you know, like you want consistent consistency. How many times do we say this? Consistency is the name of the game. If I could do the do... same thing every single time, you should expect the same
1: results. Correct. Mr. Steve OCW versus ladder test. And what do you use? Uh, what is OCW define that?
0: Um, actually I know, I'm sorry. I, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, we we're gonna go through a, a whole load development deal. Okay. Um, I've gotten some other feedback. So we're gonna from, answer
1: that through uh, another y-
0: source. Yeah, well, we'll it'll actually be in another episode because I know um, this is mostly reloading as far as hey, what's my what is what am I gonna do as far as case prep? You know, what tools am I gonna use? You know, I know there's a lot of people that want to ask, hey, well, is this tool better than this tool? Blah 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 blah. So. We're laying load, the
1: foundation
0: Load development yep. will be another one um, we got some I got some uh, some other documents from other guys that how they do their load development I'd like to read it and kind of compile it and, and kind of push it all into one so that's kind of a separate question
1: what powder measure do you prefer and is it worth it to spend the money on a quality lab scale there's still more question hold on what kind of SD and es do you do you chase and at what point do you call it a day? Um, Lab scale, quality. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes. Right. So I can tell you our CBS Charge Master, great little, great little scale and powder dump. You can you can load a ton of ammo on there. Mike and I have, but we also had a Denver instrument sitting there, Nothing so we awesome. can we can check it right. Yeah. So we actually through, weigh it twice through the night. How much would you see those? charge masters vary
1: it would vary uh and actually because of the temperature of the room um as it heats up and cools down the even the the lab scale was you got to reset it you right. got to constantly reset it calibrate it and quick. you got to constantly watch what's going on because if you don't then you're going to be you know like half a grain off of what you're supposed to be
0: right The so the charge masters varied a lot and you had to recalibrate them you had to you had to pay attention to we're them. constantly taking stuff out and putting stuff in and it's irritating right. yeah to say the least so um lab scale is big i like to have one of those my one of my favorite scales right now is the uh the and fx uh, 120i um which you get paired with the auto trickler v2 where it Automatically dumps your powder and um, trickles for you, so you have a lab um, scale. It's very very um, sensitive, so you can measure to the kernel, and then it dumps the powder and trickles it for you. It weighs your what is on the scale 25 times a second, so it. All you have to do is make sure that that scale stays. Uh, calibrated, you can load a ton of ammo faster than two R C B S charge masters and a Denver instruments, I can promise you that.
1: What kind of standard deviation extreme spread are you trying to chase?
0: Um, I use extreme spread. I feel like S D kinda gives me like a fake number. Like <laughs> it <laughs> cheats me. Like I don't know I don't Does know. Cheats you or make you feel good. Right. It kinda makes everybody feel good like, oh well I have an S D of fifteen. Okay, well that's your extreme spread. Um just you know, off off my head, you know, like that's that's thirty five. You know? Well, it's not it's not as good as I would like to so see. So what's it. the
1: difference between the two? You got your standard deviation and your extreme spread. What's so
0: your extreme spread is actual the the difference between your high and your low? So you have your, your muzzle velocity your muzzle velocity when you're checking right at the range, your yep. five shots. Yeah basically. So basically and then your S D um, there is a calculation and it's kinda like an average between those and then your your variation between them so it you can you can almost say hey my sd is half of my extreme spread it's not exact but that, you know that's the way i always looked at it when i used the sd it was like hey well if my sd was 20 my extreme spread was 40 right so i just use extreme spread it gives me a, a true number i like to keep my extreme spread under 20
1: that's for you, Steve. Justin, thoughts of using bullets like one twenty grains in 6.5 Creedmoor. I,
0: I like the I like Frank's idea, um, and I like the idea in general as far as running lighter bullets faster. Yeah, faster
1: I, twist, <clears throat> lighter bullets, shorter barrel. I know we've been doing this over the years. Uh, I started on a twenty six inch barrel. I did too, yeah. and then then it was twenty four. And now it's 22, and it's gradually getting shorter, mm-hmm. and my twist has sped up. I'm running a 7.5 instead of an 8. Yep. And, like, I see you. We're, try, we're always trying to match each other in what we're doing in case a gun goes down, then we can continue on and do what we do. And that's – we've had that happen to us. Yep. You know, and we've had to – and luckily, you know, the the barrels were chambered at the same time, and they like the load that we – chose together basically and,
0: and we tuned that we checked our guns with that load together to make sure that both guns shot it equally
1: right. right so but i've seen it in the last year or so that you know cutting it down and running a lighter bullet is working out better mm-hmm. so yeah i'm i'm kind of
0: a i'm kind of a time of flight guy so if yeah I, you like if to i get the time of flight right i'm horrible at reading wind I get really lucky a lot so that's why i shoot a six <laughs> right. right um plus i think the six millimeter bullets one of the most accurate bullets on the planet bench rest six ppc uh, <laughs> uh i could tell you the very first score match i take that back my second score match i shot in bench rest and for you guys want to know at at 100 yards there's a thousandths dot in the center of a half-inch circle at 100 yards. Um, that dot is the X, basically your X-ring. So you have to basically get your bullet to cut that 50,000s dot. And that is a 10 with an X. The second um, score match I ever shot, I shot clean. I had 250 out of 250 points. So all of my shots were in that half-inch 10 ring. And I had 21 X's. And I still got my ass beat. (laughs) (laughs) That
1: sounded impressive up until the point where you're like, I got my ass beat.
0: Right. I was like, damn. Yeah. The guy that beat me was, uh, he now holds the current smallest five-shot group light varmint in the world. Just over seven thousandths. Point. Jesus, that group measured point zero zero seven seven, so seven thousandths and seven tenths. So they basically all just went through the same hole, exactly. Like, almost, almost exactly. exactly. That's insane.
1: That's for you, Justin Robert. What is the best increments of powder to adjust while looking for accuracy nodes, i.e., half grain,
0: point two, point three, etc.? Mm-hmm. Uh it's so here here's the thing you want to find a max load on that barrel first and a start too right so you you want to you want to start fairly low you know i think the general rule of thumb is 10 percent low okay under under a max load you want to start 10 percent under that okay so what you want to do i jump up in half grain increments to find a max load i want to be able to find out hey my gun it starts getting tacky the bolts bolt lift is fairly hard At, say, 40 grains, right? I understand that this is – I'm just using hypotheticals, okay? So I'm going to – I found that load, and it's going to be about the temperature that I run everything in. So it's 90 degrees outside, 40 grains. My bolt's tacky. Take a half grain out. Make sure that that gun runs, okay? It's going to run flawless. I can open that bolt, run the bolt quick, and I don't have any issues with that. Like, there's no point in developing a load that shoots really good that you can't run the bolt on.
1: Right. You got a ninja chop it up, pull it back. Yeah, ninja chop it down.
0: Just throw that load out. Yeah, right. So make sure your gun runs good. At that point, go down and go up. You can go in. Uh, you can go two tenths. You can go three tenths. I, I don't think that there's a big difference between the two, but go down and go up slightly from there. Obviously, you know you're very close to max, so you may want to only go up in in two tenths. One. It's almost impossible to see at least for me so I go at a minimum of two if not three I want to see some big results you know and you use fi-
1: th- I've seen your load development and typically it's half grain
0: what, what I've seen <laughs> lately lately yes you, and you get big results <laughs> that's for sure yeah um, some of that's due to the BR because it's extremely easy to tune um, but for the most part, you wanna go in that two to three tenths variance, right? Because you have, you wanna find where that that muzzle velocity finds kind of a sweet spot where it levels out for a little bit and then it'll it'll vary. So you know that you can jump up and down plus or minus a tenth in your reloading. If you wanna like not weigh it to the kernel, Um, that does help. So uh, find your max, back it down, go in two to three tenths from there. Um, I don't think there's a big difference between the two and the three-tenths. Thanks for your question, Robert. Dan the man. Ooh. What's an o-jive? What's an o-jive?
1: Oh, oh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh. oh. And then there was a gif of the guy from Office Space giving us his o-face. Oh. So what you guys don't know is I love Dan. Dan is one of my favorite people to shoot with aside from Frank and Adam. Dan is when he's around, your morale just kind of goes up just because he knows how to joke. He knows how to have a good time. I've never seen him angry about anything No, And you know, unknown to us for like a few years is we shot, uh, the sniper side cup, not necessarily on the same squad, but we came within a few points of each other, you know, halfway up the pack and, uh, so, technically, I've been shooting with Dan for, like, three, four years now.
0: Oh, yeah, you definitely. So you've been so shooting with Dan for some years. so that's, yeah, so
1: that's going to be my claim to fame <laughs> is shooting with Dan. Right. And his ogive
0: Okay, so there are a couple different types of ogives
1: <laughs> Now <laughs> we're going to make <laughs> you look like it. a dick, Dan, because yeah. you had to ask and <laughs> right? throw up a
0: picture. Right. Uh, you have the secant ogive <clears throat> and then you have a tangent ogive A tangent's a little bit more round, and actually, so if you... If you look at a a tangent ogive and it'll say hey this ogive is a a uh, nine ogive okay basically what that is stating for that um that radius for nine bullets to be stacked on top of one another That circle, which would be 360 degrees, would go around and it would meet up with the ogive nine bullets stacked on top of each other on the bottom side. It's kind of hard to explain, but basically if you made a – Where can you find a
1: resource like that to kind of explain – that? like can I give you pictures and explain um, it a little bit better?
0: So so Accurate Shooter has a a really good um, description of the the ogives. I don't think they quite go into – uh, a whole lot of detail, but they do explain the difference between tangent and secant. Ojive, your secant's the other one. Okay, The hybrid bullet, uh, and you'll see this on the article as well, the hybrid that Berger um, uses a lot of, and we, we shoot a ton of hybrids in this world because uh, it... <clears throat> Um, it gives you the, the ability to jump that bullet a little bit easier. It's kind of a, that's why it's called hybrid, because it ha- uses a tangent and a secant ojive on that bullet. It allows us to tune loads easier to jump. VLDs were notorious. Either they did jump or they didn't jump, period. So
1: Thanks for asking that question, Dan. I think that actually is a, is a valid question. It is a good question. I just wanted to give you a little shit, because I love you.
0: oh, oh. Oh,
1: oh. Garrett, I've been led to believe most field-style shooting recommends full-length resizing versus just neck sizing. Is the reason for full-length sizing just in case of
0: debris in the chamber? Uh, That is one of the reasons, yes. So if you full-length size, um, or you use like a a type s Um. Like a body die. What that's going to allow you to do is one, allow room for that debris in the chamber. Because again, practical shooting, we're down in the dirt. You're the wherever field. you're in the field. You gotta know stuff gets in there. The, uh, period. Yeah, right?
1: your your bolt's open. People are kicking debris inside your chamber. It's going to yeah. happen. The wind kicks up. It's going to kick debris inside your chamber. Mm-hmm. It just, just happens. Just flip your bolt up. Leave your bolt closed. But yeah, you know, to avoid some of that stuff. But yeah. Uh, so the answer is basically yes.
0: Yes. Um, the other reason I like to I like to size it back is um, if your piece of brass goes in tight, you you have tension closing the bolt, and you pull the trigger, it comes out tight. It is not easy to, to get out. So a lot of this is uh, debris and manipulation of the gun. When I'm on target and I and I and I'm ripping a KYL and I know hey I'm on center. it's time to to ride it is time to (laughs) shoot all four or five of those targets as fast as i can because i'm on center and i have a sweet spot i have the wind let up or whatever i've seen the mirage go to a boil awesome i'm gonna rip five rounds as fast as i can right which is quick which yeah i try to do it very quick quick, dude. so yes bolt manipulation and debris
1: Next one's coming from Lou. I actually have to go to my phone on this one because it didn't print out all the way. Uh, We still got a few more minutes left. We'll try to get the rest of these questions answered for you. And then on the next one, we're going to jump right into the the reloading process itself. So we're we're not putting a carrot on a string in front of you. We're trying to lay the foundation. (laughs) We're not making you listen to this one to listen to the next one. We're laying the foundation so that you guys have an idea. We get these questions answered for you that are important to you, and now uh, we'll give you the motivation again when, when we jump back into it on the next episode. So from Lou Smith, the fourth, the fifth. From most, of, <laughs> 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 Do you ever see that? You seen that the uh, East Ver- Conference East versus West with uh, Key and Peel? That's another one you guys need to look up. Oh, Key and Peel. Key and, and Peel. Uh, hey, hey Ron, east, east versus West, and then also yeah, the substitute teacher one is my close. favorite. So for most, uh, from most important for accuracy to least, what do you measure and try to reduce variation of while reloading? P.S. Neck turn or not? How much does it help accuracy?
0: Um, well, neck turning does help tremendous in accuracy as far as. Uh, bench rest rifles go so if you are shooting a bench rest gun the whole point of turning necks is to make sure that the inside and the outside are perfectly concentric that way when you put the bullet in that you have perfect concentricity grabbing hold of the bullet and then the neck is supported in the chamber perfectly as well that brass can be out around. Right. If you ever throw that on a, on a concentricity gauge, you will see that it could drive you crazy. Even brass that has been turned, you're like, really? Like, i done it that bad? You know, it's like, well, it's only a half thou, <laughs> you know? It's like, but I can see this needle moving up and down on every single piece of brass I've done. Well, it's not as bad as you think. right? right? But Lapua brass is obviously very consistent. Um, we're kind of spoiled nowadays because they, they try to keep track of that type of stuff. Um, so I am a, I'm a no, no turn neck type of guy in practical shooting. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm laying down and I'm going to shoot bench rest or I'm going to shoot F class and I need to shoot the smallest group on the grounds. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Right.
1: You're going to give yourself an advantage.
0: I'm going, I'm, I'm a smart enough guy. I can give myself a mechanical advantage over... Or try to give myself that advantage over everybody in tactical, practical shooting. Can you call wind? If not,
1: who it's gives a Way shit? more important <laughs> than turning shit?
0: that neck. Yeah. Uh, I think he had a couple other in there, but um, what do
1: you try I'm, to reduce in variation reloading?
0: What I like to do as far as um, reduce variation is one seating the primer i like to make sure that the primer is seated the same and is as consistent as i possibly can um, so
1: what you're saying is when you put the uh when you put the brass in the tool you crank uh, you crimp it on one side and then you turn it and then you 180 it, and crimp it, it on the other yeah side. so
0: if you're using a hand priming tool what i like to do is i'll stick the 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 primer in this primer seat or the priming tool put the piece of brass in squeeze it until you feel that anvil or that cup meet the bottom of the of that primer pocket okay at that point what i'll do is i will turn that case uh 180 degrees and then push that handle in in and make sure that it feels the same or if you feel it move slightly because if you believe that all of these hand primers are perfectly made and there's no run out and all this, all the things are nice and flat, you're crazy. So make sure that that primer is seated straight in the cup or as flat and inconsistent as you can make it. The other thing I like to do is when I'm ready to seat bullets, so I always wash my hands. That way I don't have uh, lube on my hands from the brass back and forth getting on the bullets. Because mm-hmm. then you're putting lube on the bullet, and then you're seating it inside of the case. Now this bullet has lube on the bullet, and this one doesn't. That can cause uh, a big deal with just extreme spread right there.
1: Okay. Hopefully that answers your question, Lou. Greg, what is the best way to lower SDs when you're weighing to the kernel of
0: powder but are still in double digits? Um. Well, you just heard me talk about the bullets, obviously. Um, Check your brass. Make sure that your brass is all the same. Uh, You have the same amount of firings on it. If you do not know, anneal it, resize it, trim it to length. Make sure that the length is all the same. It's chamfered and deburred, all the same.
1: Ian, please explain large versus small primer in cases like 6'5 Creed. I've heard there are firing pin concerns, but are not. Sh- but he's not sure.
0: Yeah, um, that's a that's a pretty long one. We're almost out of time, but um, yes, there are firing pin concerns as far as small primer goes. Um, there are um, if you have a large firing pin, you're using a small rifle primer. It's very easy for you to pierce that primer with a high pressure load. And when bins were hand loading most of the time we run the pressures a little higher, so we get the velocities that we want to get near or get. OK, um, the, that question, Mike, mark it, and we'll come back to that okay. um, on, the, on the next one. That way we kind of have that info down. I don't wanna I don't wanna overlook that. I don't wanna like, not answer it. Yet. That, but we're it, we're right at an hour it, right yeah, now, so like I kind of... Honestly
1: it's a five minute explanation that I have to give to people over the phone every from time to time. Yeah. About because it's a big deal with the AIs. But we're running a little over. We only have a few more questions left. Bear with us. Austin, what is your choice of dyes and why? Austin's got like five questions here. Austin should have just called me on my
0: phone. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm a Redding fan. I, I think they do a good job. They've been doing this a long time. Um, I use primarily Redding, but I have I have Widdens. Um, and I know, guys, uh, Hornady is not the best, but surprise, surprise, I have loaded a ton of 243 with, a, with, the a, hor- have, with yeah. a Hornady <laughs> die <laughs> yeah. and uh, placed very well in a lot of matches with Facts. a Hornady die. Yep. Um, Factual. So, just check your die if it's doing what you want it to do. Obviously, you can't expect too much out of it. It's a twenty-five dollar set of dies.
1: Yeah, it's twenty-five dollar set of dies, and sometimes it sticks. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <One more laughs> yeah. Sometimes the bull sticks in the seating, stand. so we have, have to the, seat it twice. Yeah, we
1: got to seat it twice. Big deal, right? Big deal. Like, just still just, doing all right. Just
0: do it, right?
1: But you do have nicer ones that are like down to the micron.
0: Yeah, you can and then honestly, you know, we've made custom dies here at the shop too. Mm-hmm. Uh you get a newon precision blank and then as long as you have a resized reamer it's basically ground at the same time or, or same dimensions as your sizer, we can make you a reamer. We have to send it out and have it hardened because resized dies have to be hardened, but um that is a very good way to go as well, um, if your gunsmith would, is willing to do that for you. Um, Newlon Precision makes an awesome die blank, and then you have your, your gunsmith chamber it for you, basically. And then they're, they're set up with Metatoyo micrometer tops, which is about the only micrometer top that's always perfect. When you're like, hey, I want to seat this down five thousandths. Five thousandths down. Beep. Boom. Done. Second part, how much bullet runout do you say is acceptable? Uh, <laughs> you know how long it's been since I've checked bullet runout?
1: Next question.
0: <laughs> like honestly, I've I've loaded a ton of Hornady dies and as long what the biggest thing is is make sure that your chamber is cut good, right? If you have a nice tight free bore, uh, you're not going to get that much per session. Right, it, it, it's going to help you. I don't. I don't check bullet runout in. Uh, in this practical world, right? Bench rest, none. Like I, I, I want it down to almost nothing.
1: He's asking what your load development looks like, and we'll talk about yeah, that. Well, again. That's,
0: that's even after we'll, the, the. I got that like, marked. We'll come the back. The process to and everything. Yeah. Uh,
1: fourth part. Why do people not use quick load?
0: um To be honest with you, I don't know. Um, I don't. Ha- I don't even use it. I know uh, what is uh, it? it. It allows you to basically um, input your your powder charge, and it'll basically develop a, a pressure curve and everything for you right on your computer. You can see what it's going to do, how much pressure, things like that. Um, so with, you're smart on it. You just don't use it. Um. Well, I, I I had it once, and I tried using it. I pretty sure i wasn't smart enough to use it i i mean it's like is it, it like it was, the uber tool to geek out on it, you gotta be pretty smart in my opinion you know like <laughs> i get smarter than me um i know uh john kilham he comes in here all the time and he loves quick load uh, he uses it for everything. Maybe I should pick um, his brain on that. Maybe, yeah, he, we'll, maybe we'll have him chime, chime, chime in, in on yeah, this. Yeah, he, he'd probably be a better. I want to write his name down here yeah. so I can tag him in it
1: and, mm-hmm. yeah, and he, see if they he'd can be go a back good guy, guy to ask because he's a good resource. He's, he did a lot of development on uh, applied ballistics as well.
0: Yeah, he he done a lot of beta testing and stuff for Invisti as well, and and uh, um, very smart guy.
1: What's your choice of components? We'll talk about that stuff. Uh, Austin, you brought up a, a lot of good questions here, and we're going to answer those questions uh, in, the, in the next podcast. We're busting time. Last question from Jeff. Ackley improved. What is it? We just had this conversation, too. Yeah. That's funny. Ackley uh, improved. It, cool. A specific cartridge or process done to any cartridge.
0: It, what, yep it, it's a, it is a process done to every cartridge. So the original uh, P.O. Ackley um, – He's Trinidad alumni. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Should have seen his eyes light up and his yeah. chest puff out. Right. So proud. Oh, man, so proud. Now, um, so Ackley Improving is basically taking any case that you have and then putting a 40-degree shoulder on it. So that allows us to uh, give that case less taper, so a sharper st- shoulder, less case taper. Uh, it's easier on brass life. Uh, It doesn't grow as much, and then you have more case capacity as well. The original P.O. Ackley, what he wanted people to do was basically um, deepen the chamber by four thousandths and use the no-go gauge for headspace as a go gauge. That was his original intent behind that. But what happened is is people found out that it's slightly um, not as good on accuracy. So what guys do now is they just take 4,000 – they just chamber it 4,000 short with an Ackley-improved case, which allows them to take a normal case. It binds in the neck-shoulder junction. Then it fits tight, so the bolt will close fairly tight, right? You're 4,000 short. Then when you shoot it, it fire forms out, but you're getting good accuracy out of it because it's tight in the chamber. It's up against the bolt face. The neck is held concentric to the chamber. So So does that make
1: it tight to come out too?
0: Um, Well, Vince, it's fire forming out. No. Okay, because the that shoulder has to go someplace. It pulls the brass out of the neck and the body and the shoulder, and forms it to I a forty degree. We just we just said, we just said about it. So yeah, I understand. Sure. Um, yeah, no, no, because it it basically it has the brass can flow and move someplace, but if it goes in tight and has no place to go whatsoever, then yes, right. If the brass is already too max size and you cram it in there and you put sixty thousand psi behind it and it can't go anywhere, it comes out tight.
1: that's all the questions that we have from the facebook section um thank you guys again for listening hopefully you're you're pulling some information out of this and maybe it's maybe one or two things or maybe it's a lot of stuff i know every time i get to sit down with these guys i pull something away from it as well so and it's all this stuff is making me a better shooter being able to talk about it as well but Thank you again. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for visiting our page, and thanks for listening to the Podbean. And uh, I know some of you saw us on iTunes. We got some episodes downloaded there. Uh, check it out. Most of our subscribers are you know, running an iPhone anyway, so uh, knock it out. Do your thing. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Sniper. This is Mike from Mile High Shooting. Frank is up over at uh, Seekins. He's, he's going to do a couple of uh, media things for you guys up there and also do a couple podcasts. I think he's got uh, Glenn and Brian Morgan up there he's going to talk with and do some shooting and whatnot. And uh, I want to thank Adam again for showing up and taking time out of his yeah. uh, his schedule to, to hang out with us and give us uh, such freaking detailed information on all those questions. I mean, it's like... You can just stand up and in front of folks. They can ask you a question, and you just dig right into it. He wasn't even referring to notes on this one. He was just answering questions. So that's uh, that's pretty
0: badass. Yeah. Th- thanks for having me. I I I love being on here. You know that I we're not the way I learned it was. Is I I wasn't given all of this knowledge just to keep it for myself. Right. You know. I and that's not that's not who I am. If I can help you, and I'm going to teach you. Uh, I'm going to try. You know. Um, so. I appreciate you guys having me on. I enjoy guys listening. Thank you guys for the ones that wanted me on more. I I I really appreciate that. Thank you for those comments. Because you warm fuzzy, doesn't it? It does, man. It made me feel good. Um, it's better than uh, a hug. <laughs> I don't know. Your harm. Your 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 hugs are pretty pretty nice. Yeah. Just saying. Let's go hug it out. Yeah, we Thanks, out, guys.